Welcome back, everyone, for the Memorial Day edition of True Crime on Easy Street. Just a thank you to all of our veterans from all of us here at True Crime on Easy Street. We appreciate you and your family's sacrifice for our country. Wouldn't last week have been the Memorial Day episode? I know today is Memorial Day. We're recording on Memorial Day. Okay. So when you get this, it's going to be a day or two, two days after a day. Yeah, but at least we remembered it. Better late than never because yes. we didn't think of that last week. Yes. So since it is Memorial Day, I can literally look outside of our studio window and see all the the beautiful flags that they have placed mm-hmm. in our town for all the veterans. You know, it's, there, there uh, are it's a, really special. There are a couple of things that we forgot to do last week. What did we forget to do? Right. Didn't we forget to do a couple of things last week? What is that? Oh, yeah. One was <laughs> plug in the board. <laughs> <laughs> or, no, I plugged the board into yeah. the computer, but I did not plug the cord into the back of the board. So if the, if the sound was a little oh. off last week, that's why. Uh, my friend Denny noticed happened. Denny yeah. noticed, and said, hey, why does it sound like you guys are standing at the other end of the room? And then she said, oh, when Katie started talking, everything sounded great because the mic on the laptop was picking it up, and she yeah. sits closest to yeah. the laptop. Yeah. So that's the explanation there. Yep. So today we have done a sound check, yes. and uh, it it works. It's it's all everything's plugged in. Everything looks really nice, and everything sounds nice. It sounds great. Yeah, and we've already talked about my weird dream last night, so I'm marking that off of my list of things to discuss. Scott today. had a weird dream where all of his teeth were falling out. Yep, they were all gone. They were in a bowl in my hands, and I was walking around with a bowl trying to get somebody to call my dentist and schedule an appointment. But in the dream, it was Memorial Day, so oh. I knew that he was closed. So I was going to have to walk around for 24 hours at least with no teeth in my mouth. Mm. Well, you know they say if you get a tooth knocked out to put that thing back in the socket as soon as you can. Well, oh. Hopefully it won't come to that, but yeah. I don't know noted. If that, I don't yeah. know if that works on adults. I mean, I guess it does. It would be the yeah. same because they say they do that with kids. So, uh, One time when I was in high school playing football, a, a kid got his front tooth knocked out in a tackling drill and he put it back in and a couple of days later he was fine and we were 15, 16 at the time, so... Yeah, worked for it worked for Brent. I mean, I would go to the dentist and let them see yeah. it after you've put it back in. But yeah. they say put them back in. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, I, I really can't have a whole lot of comments on this because my name's Kelly Turner. I'm not a doctor. Scott Wright, mediocre journalist. And Katie Givens, not a lawyer. I can't so believe I, I remembered to yeah. write that down. If you want those dreams interpreted, mm-hmm. you should check with a qualified professional. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they're... Are, I don't know if they can help. I'd feel like I just are, wasted money. Do those money. even exist anymore? I don't know. People who interpret your dreams. I don't think there's... Scott, you may just I need to seek a qualified professional anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I walked right into that. You did. You did. That was great. Oh. That was great. So, <clears throat> anyways, thank you so much once again to our veterans and your families. We truly, from the bottom of our hearts, we appreciate you. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott... Yep. You have a couple of updates for us. Well, by way of a shout out, uh, by way of a shout out, and the shout out today is for the three of us. Oh, shout out for being Sherlock like in our investigative savviness because we have previously covered a pair of the stories right here on True Crime on Easy Street that have been in the news in Alabama just this past week. All right, what item number one? Perfect. Judith Ann Neely, the convicted murderer who was uh, she was the subject of our first and our one hundredth episodes. Absolutely. And you'll have to go back and listen for yourself to have that explained. Uh, She was denied parole last week for the 1982 murder of Lisa Ann Milliken in nearby Little River Canyon, close to Fort Payne, which is near here. Uh, Neely will be eligible again for parole in May of 2028. 
And we will give you an update about that hearing on this podcast because I'm sure we will all still be here five years from today. Holy moly. Yeah. Let's see if that happens. Okay. I, I hope that it does. Maybe. I hope that we're all still here. But she doing is this in podcast. for another five years. <clears throat> That's right. So yeah. everybody can calm down about that. There was some yep. excitement about that. There was. I mean, there, there always people is. people who were getting really upset thinking that because she elected to go through with mm-hmm. the parole hearing this time, last time she... Waved she waved it. it, yeah. And, you know, Mike O'Dell spoke. I don't know if it was in person or uh, via video link, but mm-hmm. Mike O'Dell, the former uh, district attorney who has been a guest on this show, yes, he spoke in uh, against the parole, yes. and I think it took him about two minutes to say, sorry, lady. Well, well, Mike is always there fighting for the family mm-hmm. of Lisa Ann Milliken. And and he has been since. And has been. He was from, the assistant yes. DA when that case was prosecuted, so something that's... Uh, been on his radar since 1983. Absolutely. And then Georgia, of course, was just waiting for... She would have never seen the light of day. Yeah, they were they were just going to pick her up. And Mike has, has assured us that he and then whoever ha- well, it takes over for him or who has taken over for yeah, him. Yeah, Summer, Summerford. Summer, Summerford, yes. Um, will always have that in mind. Will mm-hmm. always be in contact with Georgia. Georgia's always interested in knowing... What Judith Ann Neely In case she were to be paroled, she would go right back to prison for a murder that she committed on that same crime spree Yep, a few days later uh, over in Georgia in Chicago County. she's not technically been brought to justice for that one. That's right. Because she's serving her time here for the murder of Lisa Ann Milliken. So Georgia's waiting for justice for their victim Mm -hmm. as well. Item number two on the list, Richard Scrooge was in the news last week. We uh, talked about the disgraced former Health South CEO back in January of 2022. Cooking by the Books was the name of that two-part episode, if you want to go back and hear it for yourself. So Scrooge, the convicted convicted fraudster and briber? Fraudster. (laughs) He bribed the governor of Alabama, so does that make him a briber? Well, yeah. Anyway, Scrooge was convicted of bribery in federal criminal court, and a civil court later found him responsible for defrauding Health South investors of around $2.7 billion. And there are people out there still looking for that money, which is about $4.5 billion today. Wow. Yeah, 68% uh, inflation rate since in the last 22 years. We need a shirt, Scrooge the fraudster. Yeah. I think we could sell them. Oh, my God. Uh, According to the report last week at AL.com, investigators may have found several of those millions in a secret account, and the former business associate of Scrooge's, whose name is on the account, is in, wait for it, state prison here in Alabama. Oh. Uh, For, among other offenses, property theft, burglary, assault, and intimidating a witness. Sounds like somebody Scrooge would hang out with, right? Ugh. Yeah, yeah, it is. At least that is the contention of the court order that was filed last week. The order seeks to freeze the account and force the turnover of bank documents associated with the account so that they can find out if it seems that Scrooge has written himself over $3 million in checks out of that account. Those are the accusations in the court order, allegedly. Okay, well, we'll see how that pans it's out. A, uh, well, it's a familiar pattern of defense for Scrooge. He has denied the entire thing. Sure, of course. You can hear him do that several times when you hear us talk about him in that two-part well, series. you got to stick to your story, right? right. <clears throat> he is in Texas now, living there, has been for, uh, he served five years in prison. He was released in 2012, so he's been out for a decade. Uh, probably up to no good would be my first two guesses. And according to AL.com, uh, she told the judge if he wanted to turn the plaintiff's attorneys loose and let them dig, they could do so all they wanted. There's nothing there. 
Isn't that what he said the first time? We will keep you updated on that. Yes, that's exactly he what he said. He was just very, yeah. you know. Who, me? Who, me? Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is just preposterous. Um, mm-hmm. So what is, what is he doing in Texas now, Scott? I know that he's involved in uh, prison ministry, and I think the connection that he has with this person, whose name I didn't uh, put in the article, so that, that we don't get yeah, inundated with names. Right. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I always try to make sure that we don't. But I, I think he uh, came across this person. They got to know each other because of his prison ministry. So, so maybe, maybe it's not what it seems like, but you know, there's a lot of angry people who, who, I mean, he stole from a lot of, a lot of people. Yeah. Like I said, we'll keep you updated. So this podcast that we're going to do today, it has been on our not so secret list of things to do for some time now. Yeah. And why is it not so secret, Scott? I think I might've spilled the beans on that. Yeah. Yeah. Love. To just give everybody, well, like Katie list. says, I can't keep a secret. No, no, <laughs> no. Ladies and gentlemen, if you see Scott out and about in town, and you tell him something, he's not going to keep your secret. Look, that is not true because I have been a <laughs> mediocre journalist for twenty five years, and I know a lot of secrets about a lot of people in this town that I can't say because it was told to me off the record. Well, you know what? That makes you not it, mediocre. That makes you a lot better. Well, than, if you proceed what you're going to tell me by saying, "Hey, this is off the record." It mm-hmm. goes in the vault. Okay, well, so, Scott, the list <laughs> is off the record. Sorry, you didn't say that. <laughs> I did now. Okay. So, so anything new on the list, it's in the vault. Off I the promise. record. Okay. So this uh, topic today, uh, there's a limited series about what we're going to talk about today. It's currently running on HBO Max, which is now simply called Max, unless you have cable and it's still HBO. It's very convoluted right now, but it's HBO. I'm saying HBO Max. Terrible rebranding. I agree. I don't understand. I, why would you take the most iconic name in the history yes. of pay-per-view movie entertainment, HBO, and, and erase take it? Take it off of your, yes, terrible rebranding. God. I don't get it. Anyway, so we're going to begin today's episode now, and uh, it's one word, really, Watergate. Don't be intimidated by that word, because it means a lot. And don't roll your eyes and think, ah. Uh. Not yet, anyway. Maybe wait till halfway through and see how we're doing. But let me, I want to say this, and yeah. don't shut up interrupting, but. We've done several things on this podcast that when Scott mentioned to me that he wanted to do them, I did that. You rolled your eyes. I rolled my eyes and I made that noise. (laughs) Ugh. And every single time I have learned something new and it's been cool and I I have enjoyed it. Well, I'm not cool, so thank you. And I'll tell you this, I'm not the only one saying that. I've had many, many people tell me this, that, that they listened they first went in thinking, I know everything about this. There's always something mm. that you manage to educate us on. So I'm looking forward to that All right. today. So Watergate. Katie, when we were talking about Patricia Hearst back in February, and we mentioned all of the crazy things that were happening in the early 1970s, and you pondered why we never talked about so many historical events from that era, mm-hmm. we all agreed that there are a lot of topics from that time frame that seem to get brushed past in contemporary history classes. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you guys that my leading theory for why that has always happened is that one word, Watergate. The complete story of Watergate is a massive, intimidating 10,000-piece jigsaw puzzle that would take months to piece together. A deep dive into the topic would be even more comprehensive, involving a prolonged look at the political climate of the 1970s, foreign affairs, including a war in the Middle East, along with domestic economic issues, Newspaper journalism at its finest, at least one presidential election cycle, the separation of the three branches of the federal government, the durability of the Constitution of the United States, 
and of course the war in Vietnam and the domestic implications of that then almost decade-old conflict. We don't have that kind of time. <laughs> so uh, let me ask you guys, what, when you hear the word Watergate, what do you think? Kelly, you go first. I mean, what does Watergate conjure in your mind immediately? The song by Leonard Skinner. Sweet home Alabama. <laughs> All right. I wasn't expecting that, but check. Uh, Katie, what about you? I mean, not a whole lot. I, I yeah. honestly, I mean, I get the gist of it, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm going to learn a lot today. Okay. Because we, I don't think we learn about this in school. Right. We didn't. I, I didn't well, learn this I mean, until college. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, but I went to high school in the 2010s. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it was a long time after this. That's true. It was 40 years after. So anyway, so we'll assume that you guys gave two good answers, which you really didn't. Uh, <laughs> no. But even with that, <laughs> even with that. I think of phone calls. There are still, okay, that's good. There are still 9,998 pieces to go. What about shredded documents? Does that that's, help? That's on the is list. That a, is yeah. that a piece? Okay. Now, we're not going to put the whole puzzle together for you. We're going to dump all these pieces out on a table, turn them all upright, find the corner pieces, okay. and maybe build the border all the way around the edges, All right. and then you're on your own. Dang it. I hate puzzles. <laughs> I love puzzles. Ooh, I love puzzles. <laughs> Uh, if you want to fill out the middle of this puzzle, we suggest, we're going to suggest some films later today and some literature, some books that you can read at the end of the episode. Uh, and perhaps we'll mention those in the notes. And then it's up to the listener to determine their dedication to dissectology, which I learned this morning is the word that describes someone who puts together puzzles. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. So we always sort of have that 101 level true crime dissectology class in here, right? I mean, we're putting a puzzle together every time we do this and it's the 101 level. So like we do on these types of cases, and now I'm going to mix my metaphors just a bit, we will hand you a flashlight and point you off in a direction in the dark. And we're not saying it's the correct direction necessarily. And yes, I know it's difficult to put together a puzzle in the dark, but let's not dwell on it. Let's just move on. Let's, we've got all the disclaimers out of the way. Let's do Watergate 101. Okay. And this is technically, I guess, the title of today's episode is The White House Plumbers, because that's really, we're not going to talk about Watergate so much as we're going to talk about what got Watergate rolling down the hill. Okay. okay. And it's the topic of that HBO uh, limited series, also titled White House Plumbers. Yes. But I have to tell you about Watergate so I can tell you about what happened before Watergate. All right. So in the early morning hours of Saturday, June the 17th, 1972, five men were caught breaking into the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee in the recently opened brand new, very modernistic Watergate office complex in Washington, D.C. That's the event that most people point to as the beginning of the story of Watergate. But the story, our version anyway, of what happens that night begins a full year previous in June of 1971. So for just a minute, before we kick over that rock and watch all the roaches scurry off in every direction, let's see what else was going on in the world in 1971. Oh, okay. So in late January of 1971, Charles Manson and three members of his family, I'm doing air quotes, were found guilty of the Tate and LaBianca murders, which we covered in a three-part series last August, if you want to look that up. Uh, In February, Apollo 14 landed on the moon, and Alan Shepard, who had been the first American to reach outer space a decade before, actually hit a couple of golf balls while he was up there. I think he sliced them both. Oh, it's probably hard in space. Probably hard in one of those suits, right? 
I don't think he was a very good golfer anyway. I don't know that. I don't know that. I never played <laughs> golf with a man. Uh, in May of 1971, a Harris poll found that 60% of Americans were against the Vietnam War. No surprise there at that point in American history. Also that month, the massive May Day anti-war protests took place in Washington, D.C. Hundreds of thousands of young people gathered and marched down the street. 12,000 of them were arrested. That's a lot. For unruly behavior of some point or another. And perhaps ironically, considering the monarch-like behavior of the nation's chief executive during this time, the first ever ebook was posted on a computer at the University of Illinois on July the 4th, 1971. It was a copy of the Declaration of Independence. Okay. The day after that, the 26th Amendment officially lowered the voting age from 21 to 18. I guess somebody finally decided that if you're old enough to be sent to, to war in Vietnam, you ought to be able to vote for or against the son of a bitch who sent you over there. Absolutely. absolutely right. Yeah. I agree 100%. Yeah. Uh, in September of 71, the famous uh, prison riot at Attica took place. And in November of 1971, Dan Cooper, you remember him better as D.B. Cooper, Ooh. jumped out of the back of a perfectly good airplane with $200,000 and a parachute strapped to his back and was never seen again. We still don't know who this guy is. We covered that last November as well. A lot happening. Yeah, big time. 71 was an exciting year. But now definitely for the purposes of this this discussion, the most significant thing that happened in 1971 was on June the 13th of that year when the New York Times began publishing what is known as the Pentagon Papers. And that was a full year before the Watergate break-in. And this is where our story about the White House plumbers really begins. So there's a great movie, first of all, about the Pentagon Papers from uh, 2017. It's titled The Post. Tom Hanks plays Washington Post managing editor Ben Bradley, and Meryl Streep is the Post owner and publisher Catherine Graham. I watched it last week. It's a very good movie. And it's a very factual representation of the negotiations and the decisions that were made at the executive level at the Washington Post about publishing the Pentagon Papers. The Times had started publishing them days before and had already gotten into trouble with the Supreme Court. So the decision that had to be made at the Washington Post was, are we going to jump off in the deep end with the New York Times and defy the president or not? And they eventually decided to do it. And within two or three days, a lot of the major newspapers in the country had taken that decision by the Post and they also started to publish the papers. So the First Amendment overwhelmed the attempts by the president and the executive branch to stop the publication of these papers. And eventually the court sided with the papers in the First Amendment. Now, Nixon's argument to stop those publications was that it was top secret information. National security, that was their argument. And the phrase national security is going to get tossed around a few times today, but not nearly as often as it was in the Nixon administration when it came time to justify all of their downright illegal activities that were designed to find out the who and the how of how those Pentagon Papers got found and discovered and published to begin with. The the Pentagon Papers was a 7,000-page analysis of the history of the country's involvement in the fight against the spread of communism in Southeast Asia, specifically Vietnam, in the years after World War II. It was requested by the Secretary of Defense named Robert McNamara, and he had been John F. Kennedy's Secretary of Defense. He was there through the, Nix, uh, through the Johnson administration, and he was somewhere else by the time this hit the fan. I think he was the head of the World Bank by then. 
but he had requested it because he had become disillusioned about the war and the prospects for winning it by the time 67 rolled around. And so he requested that this study be conducted. And by the time McNamara left the Pentagon in February of 1968, yeah, it was the head of the World Bank, uh, he was every bit as disillusioned about the Vietnam War as a man named Daniel Ellsberg. And we'll talk about him more in a minute. Anyway, so this, the, the sections of this 7,000-page document began to be printed in the newspapers in the summer of 71. Like I said, the New York Times led the way. And the courts eventually ruled that the First Amendment carried more weight in the USA than the Nixon administration's un, unrelenting cries of national security implications. And the CIA and the FBI were not nearly as zealous as Nixon when it came to trying to ferret out exactly what the motive was for releasing the Pentagon Papers by the man I mentioned just now, Dan Ellsberg. Ellsberg was a former Marine lieutenant. Uh, he graduated with a degree in economics before joining the Marines in the 1950s. That was from Harvard, so he was a pretty sharp tack. Uh, he returned to Harvard to get his doctorate after his stint in, uh, in the Marines, and he spent two years in Vietnam working for the Pentagon as an analyst, and in the mid-1960s, he helped compile the information that eventually became the Pentagon Papers. The original title of the Pentagon Papers is History of U.S. Decisions, uh, Decision-Making in Vietnam from 1945 to 1968. Oh, well, that's very... I mean, that title tells you specifically mm-hmm. what this paper is about. And it was yeah. secret for a long time, but now in 2011, in June, uh, that was made... That was released to the public. So you can get a copy of the Pentagon Papers today if you want to read all of that. It's available. Have you read it? I have not. I've read Daniel Ellsberg's book about... Oh, his... his about book. him going through the process, but I haven't... Is that a is that a good read? Yeah, it's a really good read. Oh, yeah. awesome! A lot, and and it's another one of those set the table segments. He talks a lot about what was going on in the country in sixty nine and seventy yeah. and seventy one when all this was happening. So yeah. I, I always enjoy that. Um, so Scott, are you going to get get to the what did they figure out? I mean, are you going to? Oh yeah, that, is that next? Am yeah. I just getting ahead of myself? No, no, that's fine. Okay. I want you to ask. Yeah, that's okay. that's the next thing. Okay. Uh, so regardless of. Uh, the implication or the 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 motivations so far. Nixon wants to know this. He wants to know if Ellsberg is simply a misguided American patriot or, and Nixon is psychotic. He's paranoid, and it's getting worse every day. He thinks that Ellsberg maybe is a communist agent. Anyway, in his mind, it's a matter of national security, and the CIA and the FBI aren't really being aggressive enough in their investigations about trying to figure out what happened and why the papers have been released. And you can read that as they weren't willing to break the law. Okay. The CIA and the FBI. So with Nixon illegal is, wiretaps and illegal searches and oh, reading people's mail and Holy cow. Oh yeah. So Nixon is um he feels like this is a personal attack. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly right. right. It's they're trying to sink me gotcha. on the war and I'm trying to end it. That's his He's argument saying I'm trying to head. get us out of Vietnam. Yeah. And you're okay. making it worse. Now mm-hmm. and and just to 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 be fair, mm-hmm. Nixon is not the one who got us into Vietnam. That is right. Yeah, and, and well, that's true. Uh, Kennedy and then Johnson. Johnson really looks bad in the Pentagon Papers. He but, lied to the American people and the Congress for the entire time he was in office. And I, I don't want to speak. You know, Kennedy was assassinated. Yeah. Had he not been assassinated, what? Do we feel like he would have been? I think it was a quagmire that we were destined to become 
involved, involved in, in no matter home. what. I mean, he was gonna yeah. he I was gonna keep us involved yeah, in that probably. Those, the 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 conspiracy nuts who think that Kennedy was killed because he didn't want to go to Vietnam. I I don't think that was why he was assassinated. Okay, all right, because he's That's the one who got us into Vietnam. Correct. And yeah. then Johnson picked up the really, really. He, he ran with it. Okay, and so now here we are. Fast forward to where you're yeah. at. So in July of 1971, a month after the Pentagon Papers first appeared in the New York Times, Nixon ordered his two most trusted advisors, Henry Kissinger of the National Security Council and John Ehrlichman, his chief domestic policy advisor, to create a special intelligence unit, the SIU, to find out who really linked the Pentagon Papers and if anybody was helping Ellsberg uh, Ellsberg to do it. Mm -hmm. So they're literally called the special intelligence unit. That's correct. I thought you were going to give me some cool name, you well, know, like a special intelligence unit, well, the they, SIU. They are the White House plumbers. So they call themselves. They call themselves the, the plumbers. White, the White House yeah. plumbers. And so Nixon, his ever-increasing uh, increasing paranoia that we uh, have already discussed, he deeply suspected, and he has heard many times on his secret Oval Office tape recording saying, it's got to be the goddamn communists. He thinks the communists are behind the release of the Pentagon Papers. GD is his favorite expletive, by the way. And I won't say it again. And, oh, he also thought it might be the Jews. uh, Because in his words, in one of his Oval Office office tapes, they will always turn on you. His words. What? Yeah. So not only is he paranoid, he's also anti-Semitic. Yeah, because, you know, they're so historically, you know, going to turn on you. He's probably racist, too, but we're not going to go there. Holy cow. And so the 37th president of the United States, Richard Milhouse Nixon, warts and all, is determined to punish Daniel Ellsberg and whoever else is involved with him for releasing the Pentagon Papers. And so he's looking like not just a war hero, but but an American hero at this point. More and more every day. So that special intelligence unit, uh, and we would come to know them soon as the White House plumbers, because get it, they're going to try to solve this leak. Stop leaks. And that's the uh, title of the HBO limited series and the book by one of the guys who was involved in this. And I leaned heavily on the book and the uh, miniseries, what's been released so far. And by the time you hear this, all five of those episodes will be available on Max. I think it's worth a watch. Oh, it's definitely, yeah. And there's some humor in it. I mean, it's, we'll They've talk about that later. definitely gone a dark humor yeah. route for this. Um, but I, I think it's worth a yeah. watch. There's some irony to the fact that they would call themselves the plumbers because they wanted to find the source of that leak and fix it. But they also wanted to create other leaks that might be damaging to the person or the people who were responsible. Nixon wanted to, quote, kill Ellsberg in the press, fight him in the press. Nixon feared, because of the increasingly overwhelming anti-war sentiment in the country at the time, that Ellsberg would not be punished for what he considered to be the grave damage to the interests of, again, national security. And how close are we to an election? Uh, very close. Yeah, yeah, we got to yeah. get them buzzwords. Yeah. There we go. National security. Well, I mean, <laughs> Pentagon Papers, 71, but Watergate... Is 72. 72, and that's an election year. Yeah, so yeah. so that is on his mind. Oh, well. sure, of course, because he's a first-term president. Re-election, yeah. that second term is always on your mind if you're yeah. a first-term president. Yes. So even though the report, the Pentagon Papers report, ended in 68, barely harmed Nixon at all because the, the report was done before he took office. Mm-hmm. The Pentagon Papers were the most damaging, like I said, to Johnson, who lied to the American people in Congress for five years. Mm-hmm. Now, just for everybody, are they the same party? No, Nixon's a Republican and Johnson and Kennedy were both Democrats. So it's very strange to me that he would be 
feeling this personally. Well, you know, it's not even his party. It's damaging his attempt to what he thinks is a, an honest endeavor to try and end the war. But there's the, he has this internal conflict. He's like, well, at least it's, and you can hear it on some of the tapes, at least it's not hurting me. At least it's making Johnson look bad. Mm-hmm. And they're the Democrats, and the election's coming up. So anything that makes the Democrats look bad, I'm not, I've still got to fight this fight because I'm the president, and it's my job to defend the security of the national, of the United States. But, eh. While the fight goes on, at least it's making Johnson look bad and not me. Yeah, it's it's so bizarre his way of his thinking as far as very wanting to pursue this. It's it's it it's very contradictory. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we mentioned, the genesis of this true crime episode is that HBO Max series White House Plumbers, and it stars Woody Harrelson and Justin Theroux. We've mentioned them before, yeah. right, and mentioned this show before. By the time you're listening to this, they'll all be available. Um, and there are a lot of scenes which are told very accurately in that series. And I have learned that as I've been researching this topic. Uh, they're true to the facts. They're faithful to the facts. And the guy who wrote that book, his name was Bud Krogh, K-R-O-U-G-H. He was the man that Ehrlichman, Nixon's chief domestic policy advisor, he picked Krogh to be his eyes and ears in the office where the plumbers had their headquarters. And he was, he ended up being the first person to ever be uh, convicted uh, mm-hmm. in the case that resulted in all of this. But we'll get to that. Now, remember that the justification, again, for all of this subterfuge was national security. Yes. Yes. So the thought process of the plumbers and the Nixon administration was, we can do whatever we want. The laws don't matter. We're trying to save everyone's rights and liberties by trampling over everyone's rights and liberties. Yeah, let's let's be sure and save this buzz phrase and scare everybody exactly. so that they know to we're we're doing the right thing here. Get behind us, national security. Oh. That's what the president of the United States, Richard Nixon, and his bunch believed. It was up to them to save us from ourselves mm-hmm. in nineteen seventy one. The laws of this country and the constitution of the United States be damned. But what Richard Nixon forgot while he was climbing up onto his throne to adjudicate the world for us is that the president is not the king. No. no. The president is also an American citizen who is ultimately obligated to follow the law just like everyone else. The mantra over and over, and it is worth repeating, and I will do it now, no man in this country is above the law. Yeah, you say that, Scott, but... Mm-hmm. Well, Richard Nixon has not been the last president of the United States to forget about that. Yeah. And probably... No, he wasn't the first. Wasn't the first. He <laughs> won't be the last. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we'll tell you a little bit more about the White House plumbers after this word from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you in part by A&W Outdoor Services. You know, they're located right here in Cherokee County, and I called Alan myself just a few weeks ago, and he and his crew came out to my house, pressure washed the whole thing. It looks brand new. Well, as brand new as my house can possibly look after 25 years. But all I did was call Alan at 256-706-7964. He and the guys showed up and cleaned up everything. It looked fantastic. The pollen has fallen a little bit since then. So if you haven't done this already, now's the perfect time to call Alan and A&W Outdoor Services at 256-706-7964 and let them do for you what they've already done for me. It's time to plan your best vacation ever right here in Cherokee County, Alabama. Many outdoor adventures await. Wet a hook in beautiful Wise Lake. Swing away at Cherokee Pines Golf Club. Climb to the best view around at Cherokee Rock Village. Hike the Little River Canyon National Preserve. 
take a days-long splash at Pirates Bay Water Park, and much, much more. The Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce and Tourism has a full list of recommended lodging facilities, RV sites, and campgrounds. And they're all set up to suit your vacation needs, whatever they may be. So come see us from wherever you are. And if you already live right here in lovely Cherokee County, plan your summer 2023 staycation with the Chamber by visiting Cherokee-Chamber.org. We're proud to have another show sponsor, Faraway Tree Service and Sawmill. Faraway is a small, family-owned business with small-town values located right here in Cherokee County, Alabama. But they can do big things for you. Call Faraway for anything you want done to a tree, or a lot of them. You want your trees removed? Call Faraway. You want your trees cut up and milled into lumber or ground into mulch? Call Faraway. Faraway is licensed and insured and can handle any job, big or small, from tree trimming to stump grinding and everything in between. So call Faraway Tree Service and Sawmill today at 256-393-5398. Thank you to all of our sponsors. And now back to the show. Okay, so as we mentioned before the break, we have this tug of war going on in, in Nixon's mind. His interpretation of the Constitution against the actual wording of the Constitution. Uh, and the, so the Watergate scandal is going to end up creating a constitutional crisis. It's the largest one in the nation's history, except for the Civil War. And all of that fallout, as we know, eventually resulted in the resignation for the first time in history of a United States president. But before Nixon was forced to throw himself out of the Oval Office window in August of 1974, the events of Labor Day weekend in 1971 in Beverly Hills were the reason that his office window was open to begin with. So we've mentioned the White House plumbers, the HBO thing. Howard Hunt and Gordon Liddy are the two main characters in that show. Woody Harrelson plays E. Howard Hunt. Justin Thoreau plays G. Gordon Liddy. They are the guys who were the head of the plumbers unit, the day-to-day operations. They report to this Bud Krogh guy and one other guy's name is David Young, but they run it day-to-day. So they organize the break-in of the psychiatrist's office in Beverly Hills. The guy's name is Dr. Lewis Fleming, and he is Dan Ellsberg's uh, therapist, uh, psychiatrist. And And just so everybody knows, those records are private. Yeah, and Ellsberg is the guy who released the Pentagon Papers, and he's, he's going through the judicial process at the time, but again, Nixon wants to try him in the press, so if you can find something to discredit this guy, if he has said something to his therapist that is incriminating, they want it. And see, that's just so so low. That's below I mean, the belt. The yeah. fact that this was even able to happen, mm-hmm. like that they agreed to do this. Well, here's a funny story. And this is mentioned, it, this is in the very first uh, minutes of the first episode. Uh-huh. The first thing that they do, that Liddy and Hunt do, is they call in the FBI and say, listen, we're worried about leaks, national security. We want you to conduct hundreds of uh, polygraph tests and wiretap this list of people because we are worried about if there's the Pentagon Papers have gotten out, then something else could next, and we're trying to head this one off at the pass. The guy that is the FBI representative in that meeting is a guy named Mark Felt. He is the second in command at the FBI. Hoover is still alive. Hoover doesn't die until, I think, the summer of 72. So Hoover is in his 41st or 42nd year as the head of of the FBI. Mark Felt is his number two. Fast forward to 2005. And we find out that Mark Felt was deep throat. Good Lord. 
So the guy that was telling Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein everything that they wanted to know the next year about the Watergate break-in was at this meeting with the plumbers a year before and knew good and damn well who it was when the Watergate got broken into. And so when Bob Woodward started calling him and asking him, Mark Felt started telling him. But you can't tell anybody. It's on deep background. And they gave him the nickname Deep Throat in the newsroom at the boss, at the uh, Washington Post because of the famous uh, pornographic film that was all the rage at the time. Oh, wow. If you've never seen it, <clears throat> uh, make sure you're old enough out there, kids, uh, <laughs> oh, no. before you download a copy of that because it's it's exactly what you think it is. Oh, nope, nope, nope. Okay. Um, yeah, don't do that. Don't yeah, do that. I did not recommend doing that. I warned them not to. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, uh, the, they try to get the FBI to help them out. And the FBI says, no, we're not doing that. The, the CIA does very little to help. They offer, they, they create a, uh, a psychological evaluation, sort of like a, a, the FBI special behavioral sciences unit on this Ellsberg to kind of predict what kind of person he is and what he might do next. Um, Hunt is a former CIA spy and Liddy is a, an ex-FBI agent. And they can't have themselves tied directly to what's going to happen at Dr. Fleming's office in Beverly Hills. So they hire three Cuban-Americans that Hunt knew from a decade earlier when he helped to plan the Bay of Pigs invasion in Cuba. But don't, don't, we're not going there. No. Ever. That's, wow, you think this is complicated. The Watergate complex break-in is still a year away. When the Cubans hired by Hunt and Liddy broke into Ellsberg's psychiatrist's office in Beverly Hills, but just to begin the process of bringing this whole thing full circle, when the Watergate break-in did happen a year later, in June of 72, there were five men who were arrested. Three of them were these same three Cuban-Americans. Okay, of course. Now, just briefly about the break-in in Beverly Hills. In one instance on the HBO series, it's played up for laughs, but it was a fact that the walkie-talkies that Hunt and Liddy and the Cuban-Americans uh, tried to use that night. They didn't work properly because it turns out they were on the same frequency as either a local police department or an ambulance service. Anyway, so in the movie, they kind of play it up and they're like, you know, damn it. And they can't talk to each other and it's just static and they throw them out the window or whatever. But that happened. They may have played that up for humor, but that's true because they bought them in Chicago on the way to Beverly Hills. Okay. And I don't know. They didn't know how to tune them or change the frequency so they were useless. Well, and there, there is a little bit of humor because you've got some of them who are way too close to the walkie-talkie. <laughs> and then they're pulling up their antenna. And, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was hilarious. <laughs> now, as, as HBO describes in the, in the notes, uh, the description of this series, uh, E. Howard Hunt and G. Gordon Liddy failed upward, in quotes, in their careers before being tasked with this mission to head the plumber's unit by Richard Nixon. Uh, there's another early scene. I already talked about the Mark Felt thing. I got ahead of myself there. So we told you about Mark Felt and how Deep Throat himself was in the plumber's meeting. <laughs> I mean, that just another example of this comedy of errors mm-hmm. that is the Hunt and Liddy attempt to help the president. It's almost, They're helping, damn it. They're trying to help well, Nixon like stay in office. They're set up. I mean, I almost feel like they were, they were put in there because they're going to just really screw this up and then we'll just pin the whole thing on them. Well, kind of thing, but I, but that's not what happened. No, the what happened was the 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 Nixon administration found two idiots 
to overzealous idiots who are willing to do anything past their prime, willing to do anything to make sure that George McGovern does not become the next president of the United States. Nixon's our man. Yeah. And we're, we're going to go too far to try to help him is what happens. Yes. That's exactly what happens. Uh, I mentioned that, uh, Mark felt wasn't revealed and Mark felt revealed himself. Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein kept that secret for over 30 years. They never told anybody who deep throat was. Mark Felt died in 2009, but in 2005, he was already retired and elderly, and his daughter convinced him that he should tell his story, and so it was a Vanity Fair article in 2005 that was an interview with Felt where he told his version of what happened. I think there's probably been a book since. I know there's a movie about it starring Liam Neeson called Mark Felt. It's, it's okay. I watched it, too, last week. Um, so the plumbers, like I said, had tried to go through the FBI. Felt shot him down. We're not helping you. We're not going to interview. They did try to ask, uh, they did try to interview Dr. Fleming and Dr. Fleming, or Fielding rather. And he said, sorry, patient, client, confidentiality. So the FBI just gave up. Well, that wasn't good enough for Hunt and Liddy. And then the CIA did the psychological profile. That wasn't good enough. So that's when they decided they were going to break into his office using these Cuban Americans and steal his files and hopefully find something incriminating him. We are going to get what we want. It doesn't matter. Three years later, when it was all over, 68 indictments and 49 convictions in the Watergate affair. But this is where it all started. Yeah. Did they end up trashing the office and doing oh, yeah. all the things that mm-hmm. it shows them? Yeah. They, they uh, knocked over. The, the Jimmy'd opened the filing cabinets and scattered papers around and broke into a doctor's office in the same building and scattered some everywhere. pills around to make it look like it was a drug addict looking for, mm. for, for uh, a hit. Mm-hmm. A fix, at, you know, which, and I bet Liddy actually said this, but in the show, the Rose character says, why would you think that a drug addict would leave drugs behind? <laughs> would leave them on the floor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the one so. thing you would think he would take with him. Because the Cubans were more, um, Liddy is not the one who brings the Cuban Hunt Americans. The, that's right. Hunt brings this. the Cuban Americans in because he had been there. Hunts. Yeah. From yeah. 10 years before during the Bay of Pigs training and fiasco. Yeah. So he's not really convinced that these. Cuban Americans are good, and, and let right. me ask you this: Is Liddy as um, racist as he is oh, yeah. portrayed yeah. in the show? Yeah, so that could have been a, an issue that he had with them being Cuban been. American. They don't; they're not overt about it, but it could have been. Yeah, I mean, Liddy's—I don't know if Liddy is still alive. I should have checked to see that. But he had a uh, when I was in college, he had a radio show that if some friends of mine listened to, and the guy was a nut. I mean, he was a certified nut. So yeah, Thoreau does a great job of playing Liddy. The way that I envisioned Liddy actually did. Liddy actually listen to Hitler speeches. Oh yeah, for that's fun. All, yeah, I mean, can he you grew imagine, up listening to them as a kid. Can you imagine on the listening radio to Hitler's speeches as fun? Well, like that's it, your entertainment. Yeah, I guess it would be like a at the time it would be a, a kid who was interested in politics as opposed to baseball, maybe because you sat around the radio in the '30s before Hitler started doing all the bad things that he started doing, or that at least before it became so I think he was doing them. It was just, yeah, we didn't right. know about it. There were people who, you know, admired Hitler for the way he had brought Germany back after the First World War. I can't imagine in 71 having any kind of admiration for Hitler. Right. No, no, but Liddy gained that admiration in the 30s mm-hmm. when he was a kid growing up in But in, in Jersey, the show, it's portrayed that he still Well, he still that. got, yeah, he still, maybe they play that part up, but it is true okay. that he listened to 
Hitler's speeches on the radio as a, as a child. Okay, well, the, the way they play it up in the show is yeah. that as a grown man yeah. in 71, he's still listening to Yeah, him. well, that lends itself to a lot of jokes between his character and uh, Hunt's wife's character that is played by Lena Eddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from Game of Thrones. Yeah, and you know they they always have these one liners that go back and forth, and she always gets him. She always gets in the last zinger. Yes, yes. Uh, the so, look on her face. Some humor there. When, that first, when yeah. when he starts playing that, yeah. and she looks at her. She's, she's hilarious. Like, Is that Hitler? Yeah. You know, it's it's a she it's does a weird great job. How they they intertwine that comedy, but I I just wondered if he was. You know, yeah. he's I've, portrayed as a as a raging racist. Yeah. I've gone back and watched those first four episodes again, and I've realized that the thing that I enjoyed most about all of them was her. Oh, she's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, she did a great job. Yeah, fantastic. And he passed away in 2021. Liddy. Liddy. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was 90. Okay. Wow, he long time. Anyway, so I may have mentioned this already. I, I, I kind of got redundant in my notes towards the end here, I feel like. Uh, Ellsberg knew about those Pentagon Papers because he helped to research them and write them. I did talk about that before. And after he returned from his stint in Vietnam, uh, like a lot of people who came back from serving in combat in Vietnam, Ellsberg was disillusioned about what America was doing over there. Why people were dying by the thousands for no apparent reason. Uh, and As so, were a lot of Americans. Yeah, big time. Uh, 58,220 is the official number of Gosh. Americans who died in the Vietnam War. Oh. And so Ellsberg decided that he, if nobody else was going to do it, he was going to tell the nation what was going on over there by releasing the Pentagon Papers which he had access to because he had a lot of security clearances. He was working for the Rand Corporation, which is a think tank in, uh, I think it's in D.C., that does defense intelligence work for the government. And so he worked there, and so he had the clearances to find a copy. What was, what was his rank? You said he was in the Marines. He was in the Marines. I think he was a lieutenant in the Marines, okay. but I, I guess he was a civilian at this point. He didn't make yeah. the military his career, so he's okay. a civilian consultant working for Rand Corporation. Okay. Um. There were 15 copies of the Pentagon Papers. He stole one and gave it to the New York Times. And the newspaper uh, planned to publish a series of articles based on the report, but after three appeared, that's when the Justice Department got involved. Restraining order, tried to stop the publication. That's when the Washington Post got involved. So that's all explained in the movie The Post with uh, Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep and, and in plenty of books if you want to do your research there. But that's a really good movie. What paper was the... The one that Kathleen Turner is working for in the show, The White House Plumbers. Uh, it's played by Kathleen Turner. She's over oh, uh, she was a uh, she was a the head lobbyist for International Telephone and Telegraph (ITT). There, so there used to be AT and T, and then there was ITT, and she was a she was a uh, uh, what word did I just say? A lobbyist. A lobbyist. She was okay, a lobbyist so for ITT. What she writes is a memo. She writes a memo that okay. says, I was at a meeting or at a party, and the Attorney General of the United States, John Mitchell, said, hey, don't worry, we'll, we'll take care of that antitrust lawsuit that you're involved in uh, if you'll donate $400,000 to the committee to reelect the president. Yikes. For, so that we can buy hotel rooms in San Diego when we have the 72 convention. And so she is visiting. And she writes a memo and says, hey, it's an internal it memo. Yeah. But it gets out, and uh, I think uh, Jack Anderson, or Bill Sapphire, one of the big uh, political columnists of the day gets a hold of it, does a series of stories about it. And, and then, then she gets visited by Hunt. And then Hunt and has Lenny. to go into action and convince her to perjure herself, which she does. 
Mm-hmm. And so that story goes away. But that's all happening in the middle of all this other stuff. Does she ever come out and admit that I she... I don't know what the result of that oh, was, okay. but I never heard anything about so that's the ITT way they, until this. Okay, so that's the way they leave that's that, how they, though, that she did agree to, yeah. and to I think, say that she didn't write it. I but. think they one of the reasons they chose to tell that story in the, in the limited series is just because it gives you another indication of what Hunt was willing, the, the links he was willing to go to to make something go away if it was going to help. Because the, in the show, they visit this lady while she's in the hospital That's right. after she's had some heart Yeah, issues. they flew her out to Denver because she was supposed to be uh, deposed that morning by the Senate committee that was investigating yeah. this newspaper article. Yeah, so that was a that was a strange... She does a fantastic job, but yeah. that was just a, a strange... And that's, that's kind of coming out in 71, right? Right. Is that 71? It's all happening at the same time. Okay. Um, so again, Nixon... Screams national security, stops the uh, publication for, for a, a limited amount of time. Okay. And that's just another example of wrapping everything in the flag. It's national security. We can do whatever we want. Illegal wiretaps, uh, following people around, breaking into their homes and offices, opening the mail. They think, pfft. Opening mail? Wow. Yeah. So that's basically the, the government's mentality. And that's what leads us up to the word Watergate being officially added to the American lexicon the next year, June the 17th, 1972, when Metropolitan Washington, D.C. police arrested five burglars in the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee, as we mentioned, the same three Cuban-Americans from the year before at the Beverly Hills break-in. In all honesty, what Nixon was doing was pretty much par for the course for presidents at the time. He was using the same sort of political tactics that his predecessors had used, and he knew this for a fact because he had been in the federal government for years before he took office as the 37th president in January of 1969. In fact, Nixon was a World War II veteran. By, the 19, uh, by 1946, he was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, and six years later, he was the vice president of the United States and would be for eight years under uh, Eisenhower. So a meteoric rise, politically speaking, but a lot of veterans came back from World War II and ran for political office. And if you were a veteran, all the other veterans were going to vote for you. And he, uh, he was a successful, I think he was in the Navy. So, uh, you know, it, it carried him through this quick rise to the top. And so he knew where a lot of skeletons were buried. He'd spent eight years as Eisenhower's VP. So he knew what was going on, and he did what everybody else had been doing since uh, electronic surveillance was a thing. Yeah. He just happened to be the sorry son of a bitch who got caught doing it. Mm. At least the, he was the first one. Oh, and I did find an Alabama connection in all of this. What? I know. So in the 1976 film, All the President's Men, which tells the story of the Washington Post through the eyes of Woodward and Bernstein and Deep Throat, and that stars Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. That's from 1976. Jasper native Polly Holiday has a cameo role in the film. Does anybody know who Polly Holiday is? No. Mm-hmm. Has anybody ever seen the CBS sitcom Alice? No. Does anybody out there know who Flo is? Flo from Progressive. That's Polly Holiday. No, 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 not from Progressive. <laughs> <laughs> There's a there, she's she's Flo Junior. So Flo. <laughs> so Flo from Progress Progressive is a little bit more modern. Yeah. Flo from Alice was yeah. Kiss My Grit. That's right. Kiss My Grit. I, did, I watched Alice. That's yeah. Polly Holiday. 
She's in there. She is in for about four minutes. She is in the 1976 film, All the President's Men. She is a snippy secretary that Carl Bernstein tries to trick into getting past her so he can get to the office behind her. Did she say kiss my girl? No, but she was probably thinking it because she's got the same attitude. (laughs) Hey, well, shocker. I think I've seen All the President's Men. Oh, yeah? Okay, there's one. Let's mark that one off the list. (laughs) 99 to go. I took a class in college, uh, Politics and Film. Yeah. Okay, then you probably did. that was one of the the movies we saw. And so she is from Jasper. That's right. That's great. So that's our Alabama connection. I love it. And that's back when, uh, you know, when people still remembered phone numbers. When there was a five-inch oh, yeah. thick phone book laying on every desk. And you every didn't have office. to dial the first three numbers. That's right. You didn't have to dial the area code. Mm-mm. It was just the, yeah, this, the seven-digit seven seven digits, number. Unless it was long distance. Of course, long distance was not nearly as far away back then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, every office had typewriters clattering away all day long. It was a lot different Mm-hmm. Uh, the the copy machine was as big as a hot tub. Smoke uh, was everybody smoking in the office. Yeah, yeah. So it was. It was, if if you've seen and, and Katie actually has, which I'm very pleased to report to everyone that she has seen all the presidents. Men, I've seen, hey! I've seen yeah. a movie. Yeah, but it's. Uh, but I'm do just. You, do you remember liking it? Was it? Was I it think good? so. I liked. All, I think I liked all the movies that we saw in that yep. class. The. Uh, okay. professor one of, made good so you courses. had a good professor then mm-hmm. that could tie in all of that. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah, one of the one of the things about that movie, All the President's Men, in in Watergate folklore, it is considered to be one of the most uh accurately told stories that dealt with they, they didn't I mean when the movie ends, it just kinda ends. It just it, it yeah. there's they sit down at their typewriters and start working on the next story and it just fades to black. Yeah. It's, I hadn't thought about that movie or this topic. And yeah. then as soon as you said it, I was like, nope. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Hal Holbrook plays, uh, Mark Felt plays Deep Throat. Of course, he doesn't identify himself as Mark Felt in it. We don't know who he is either. We just know he's an FBI guy. Right. Because that movie would have been out before. 76. Right? So yeah, it, they still had 25 years to go on keeping that secret. Woodward yeah. and Bernstein did. Now, are you going to get to Deep Throat today or is that going to be? Mm. Okay. Maybe. You'll All have right. to stick around. Okay. All right. Um, we are going to talk a lot more about Watergate, but I felt like we needed to begin this story about Watergate a year earlier because yeah. the Pentagon Papers really was, it was that covert operation that led the Nixon White House to turn to Hunt and Liddy again, nine months okay. later, All right. when the administration decided that it needed some help in an election year, like you mentioned, 72 okay. is an election year. And even though Nixon is 15, 20 points ahead of McGovern in every poll, hey, why take any chances? Good gracious. Let's you're just make winning. sure that we've got this right. You're winning. What is your... You're, you're running away with it. Wow. Um, oh, and there's another reason why Nixon wanted to break into the Watergate Hotel, because the person who was in charge of the Democratic National Committee was a man named Larry O'Brien. And in addition to being in charge of the Democratic National Committee, he also took a $100,000 a year salary from the man who was the richest man in the world at the time, Howard Hughes. He was a lobbyist for Howard Hughes and his companies on Capitol Hill. And Nixon wanted something to hold over Larry O'Brien's head so that he could try to blackmail Howard Hughes into donating more money to his campaign than he was donating to the Democrats' campaign because Hughes was kind of spreading the money around like mm-hmm. the big corporations still do. They, want to, they don't want to piss anybody off. So they donate to everybody. Howard Hughes was kind of doing the same thing. So one of the things that 
they hoped to find in Larry O'Brien's desk and by bugging his phone was something incriminating that they could use, that Nixon could use. Because remember, he's paranoid and he's, he's worried about the most, the richest man in the world mm-hmm. uh, doing something to tip the scales in his opponent's favor. Mm-hmm. So that was another reason for the break-in. Whatever happened, Nixon ended up winning 49 of the 50 states. Over 60% of the popular vote at the time, it was the most lopsided presidential election in U.S. history and probably still is. Good Lord. Maybe Reagan got him with with Mondale. Mm. Uh, And as I mentioned, the operation involved the same three Cuban Americans. I know I keep bringing that up uh, with uh, Beverly Hills, uh, Dr. Fleming. Is it Fleming or Fielding? I've, I think I've written both. I think it's Fielding, and I have screwed Is around. It fielding? I think it's I think it's Fielding, and I've written Fleming in my notes. Oh, but I'm I'm bad about mixing up names that sound not mm. actually familiar, but just start with the same letter. In this case, one of those the three guys it's that, Fielding. It's Fielding. Field, so it's Doctor Fielding. Fielding. Okay. Lewis Fielding. So the three guys are the three of those guys that are arrested are the Cuban Americans from '71. Yep. One of the other men. His name was Jim McCord. He was employed by the Nixon administration. So when they, when Liddy and Hunt had the Beverly Hills break-in in 71, they were insulated from direct connection to those guys. Yeah. But this time they add two more guys, and one of them works for the Committee to Re-elect the President, C-R-E-E-P, Creep. <laughs> Uh-uh. I am crapping you <laughs> negative. My God, Lord. Yeah. And so, uh, he was the one guy who could screw up the whole thing literally. Yeah. And it didn't take him very long to do just that. Yeah, a bit. And when he decided to turn his tail and run, he eventually brought everyone else down with him. Now, the break-in at the Watergate took place in June of 1972. They're arrested. The court case doesn't happen until early 1973. So from June of 72 until January, February of 73, this is all the talk in Washington. This is when the, the Washington Post and Woodward and Bernstein and all these revelations are coming out. Something changes every day, it seems like. There's some new information about this story because... The reporters are digging, and Deep Throat is leaving Th- breadcrumbs. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, I wasn't going to say that, but all right, fine. Now you're in trouble, too. Um, in a different way. Yeah. Uh, and it, So it was early 73 when the case comes to trial before Judge John Sirica, and we'll talk more about him next time, uh, and that's in D.C. federal court. The overall strategy for the court case against the five burglars coordinated, it turned out, by the people inside the Oval Office, was for the five of them to plead guilty, take the blame, get paid off with leftover funds from the 72 presidential election, and then be granted clemency by the president after the election, when there will be no repercussions for that political act. Yeah. We've talked about how presidents can just throw out a pardon or... You know, do, but, do all these kinds of things, you know, in the, in the mm-hmm. office. But it didn't go that way. Uh, no, this one did not. There were simply too many people who were at that point disgusted by the overt lawlessness of the Nixon administration and not necessarily wanted to see it go down in flames, but were de- bound and determined that they weren't going to go down with it yeah. in flames. Mm-hmm. They were determined that that, it was too far gone to save. And so the reporters, Woodward and Bernstein, Mark Felt, uh, 
I told you about how he was involved in that first meeting with the White House plumbers, so that's how he knew what was going on behind the scenes. One of the reasons. He was also second in command at the FBI. Yeah, so he, so he had multiple sources, but one in person. In there, yeah. yeah, big time. If he didn't know what was going on, he's terrible at his job, mm-hmm. basically. Absolutely. Uh, so, Deep Throat was one of many voices who was determined for whatever their motivation to stop the Nixon administration. It was on March the 20th, 1973, my third birthday, when James McCord decided he wasn't going to play the game. He wasn't going to plead guilty and take his money down the road and hope for clemency. He wrote a letter to Judge John Sirica. This was after the trial had been adjudicated. All five of them had pleaded guilty. But McCord, before they were sentenced, McCord sends this letter to Judge Sirica, and it says, look, you didn't get the whole story. We perjured ourselves. We lied. This goes higher up the chain, and you need to keep digging. Ooh. Oh. What does the judge say? The judge read that letter out loud three days later during the sentencing hearing for McCord and Liddy. Liddy was on the hook, too. I'm sorry. Liddy and McCord decided to go to trial. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the Cubans and two others, or one other, there were five men who were involved in the break-in. Liddy wasn't in the room when they were arrested, but it was soon traced to him because of McCord mm-hmm. and his ties to Creep. Mm-hmm. Sirica had already had suspicions that something wasn't right about what he was being told in the courtroom, and this letter just confirmed it. So one month later, on April the 30th, 1973, Richard Nixon was forced to fire Technically, he ordered them to resign. Uh, Ehrlichman, his domestic policy advisor, Bob Haldeman, who was his chief of staff, and his White House lawyer, who was John Dean. Oh, and by the way, the attorney general also quit at the same time. Good Lord. It's just, I mean, chaos. Mm -hmm. And this is Nixon's first attempt. After this, he goes on TV and tells the American people, hey, you've heard about this Watergate thing forever. I've cleaned house. Everybody go home. Turn around. Walk away. There's nothing more to see here. 17 months later, on August the 9th, 1974, the Watergate affair ended when Nixon resigned. And guys, I have left out a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We did not mention uh, first special prosecutor Archibald Cox, or the Saturday Night Massacre, or second Watergate special prosecutor Leon Jaworski, or John Dean's testimony to the Senate Watergate Committee, or the extensive details about Nixon's secret White House tape recording system. There's a whole episode right there. Yeah. Or the nation's capital, under siege for months with over 60 municipal buses surrounding the White House to form a barrier to keep out protesters some of whom, in the months before Nixon resigned, were standing on the sidewalk along Pennsylvania Avenue wearing Nixon masks and prison stripes, and holding signs that said, honk for impeachment. Wow. I know that we talk about rabbit holes on this show a lot, and we try to avoid jumping into them. But guys, this is not even a field of rabbit holes. This Watergate is a minefield stretching as far as you can see in every direction, and every step you take results in an earth-shattering kaboom. (laughs) So we have not told the story of Watergate here today, but we have told the prologue, so to speak. We've told the story that begins the story of Watergate. Good gracious. And so next week when we come back, we will tell you the rest of the story. Our version <laughs> of the story of Watergate. It's an accurate version, but we're going to 
cut and paste a little bit, but we'll get there. We didn't tell you about Attorney General John Mitchell and his loopy wife, Martha. That's the Gaslit limited series that you can watch on Stars, which I'm going to finish this week. Um, but for now, that's all we have. And until next time, don't forget to say something nice about us on your podcast platform of choice. Give us a five-star review, and we'll give you a shout-out right here on the show. And don't forget to leave your name, right, Kelly? So that that's we can right. tell everybody who you are. Yeah. While you're out telling everybody who we are. I love it. Is that it? Are we done? We're done. That's it. Good night, everybody.